terrifies me every time. <laughs> the lady yelling at you for the recording? Yeah. It's very loud. Like, why can't it just be a normal, normal voice? I think it was. And then I think I bumped a setting somewhere and I haven't figured out how to go back and make it not be screaming. Yeah. I feel like my computer's going to explode or something like that, that there's just some <laughs> fatal air taking place. And she's letting me know that. Can you guys see my rich beard that I've been growing for the last two weeks? Does that come through on the video? Not real uh, strong. Mm. <laughs> I see a little bit a, on the chin. A goatee-ish? That's nature at work. That's a week or so without shaving. Very nice. Another three or four years and you'll be there. <laughs> well, you're the only one of the three of us who can grow a justifiable beard. You just never do. Can we start that? Why don't you do that? I don't think that's the case. I can do a an okay goatee. Okay. Nothing more than okay, but a beard, no, nothing on the sides. It's it's kind of barren over there, so I have to stop at a goatee and say that's all what I'm trying to do. Sure. And with that, welcome in everybody. Episode 47 of the Sports Gospel Podcast. Happy to have you back here with us. Whether you're listening to us on our website or via Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I always yell that because we're not on Apple yet, which I keep saying I'm going to get around to it and life keeps getting in the way. But we'll get there eventually as soon as I'm patient enough to do it. Happy to have you with us. We're going to kind of go all over the board today. A little bit of Super Bowl talk and recap. Give these guys a chance to speak their piece about it. I know everybody else has been analyzing the Super Bowl to death for about four days now, but still want to get our take on that. We're going to look at some of the legacies of some of the people involved in that game. And then it's time to look at the Daytona 500 and talk about some men's and women's college basketball before we check out of here for the night. So happy Thursday night. Happy to have you all with us. And with that, I'm going to open the floor to you two, Shannon and Kevin with us this week, an actual tried and true long-suffering Bengal fan, not one of the bandwagoners you've seen in the last two weeks where everybody's coming out of the woodwork with their Bengals gear and falling in love with Joe Burrow, America's sweetheart. We needed a couple days here to let it all sink in, but I'll open it up to either the two of you, whether as a Bengals fan or just a football fan, how do we feel about the Super Bowl? I'll start with, with as a Bengals fan, I was crushed because of how well they played. Like they, they really did a lot of good things throughout the game. Uh, typical slow start, but then picked it up. The defense, the the run defense specifically, was just awesome. They showed that that bringing in Trey Hendrickson and Logan Wilson as a draft pick were were worth the money. Like the Bengals just did everything well, and when it came down to crunch time, they they upset Aaron Donald, which is strike one, and and he just destroyed them. And they chose not to cover Cooper Cup. Um, I think I think uh, Kevin could cover Cooper Cup better than Eli Apple can because Eli Apple might be the worst corner in the NFL. And so I was really disappointed with the defensive adjustments that were not made at the end of the game. Now, obviously, uh, fat guy, a few bush lights deep, sitting on the couch watching the game, can clearly coach better than an NFL defensive coordinator. So I. I mean, I acknowledge that in hindsight, it's 2020, but like block Aaron Donald with three guys, if you have to, and cover Cooper Cup, bracket him like, like a, a man on him with somebody over the top and let them have Van Jefferson wide open. Like if I lose with Van Jefferson catching a touchdown, like I get it, but don't lose with Cooper Cup catching a touchdown. 
So I was just crushed. I, I felt bad for the Bengals. Um, I'll bet any amount of money that they don't make the Super Bowl next year. It's really hard to go back after losing. We had this conversation a year ago uh, when when you asked who's the, who's not going to make it. I was like, the Chiefs aren't going to make it back. They lost the Super Bowl. Well, they got dang close, but you can see how hard it is. Bengals aren't going back to the Super Bowl next year, so they're going to get a year to regroup here. They do need to address the offensive line. If you're just a fan watching football, that was an awesome game. Uh, the live betting was a lot of fun to see what was going on. Just different uh, different things you could bet on, and, and you're thinking all of a sudden at halftime they're going to explode in the second half and it's going to be 35-31, and that, that wasn't the case. It was just a great football game, really fun to watch. And so, so we did have a treat. The, the whole playoffs kind of capitalized with a great Super Bowl. I will uh, touch on some of those same points, um, starting with it being a a really fun game to watch. Um, You know, early on, it looked like the Rams were really cooking on offense, um, even though they were never, ever running the ball. Um, And then, you know, the Bengals hanging in there, hanging in there, keeping it close. And all of a sudden, you have that long touchdown pass in the second half, and then it was – oh no the Rams in trouble now and things just completely flipped and then it was tight from there on out so um, really enjoyable from just the watching standpoint for a football game Um, so you know somehow that aligned with the rest of the playoffs and how close all these games were and kind of the intrigue in all of them was pretty fun Um, you touched on it briefly the upsetting of Aaron Donald um, which plenty of people mentioned on Twitter Um, probably something you didn't want to do not that he probably wasn't already you know, really focusing on playing hard, but that's probably just the last thing you want to do is try to um, upset and get some extra shoves in on, on that guy of all the people on their team. So that probably wasn't a good choice. Um, from kind of overall standpoint, it seemed like the Bengals were trying to run, and this is about probably the whole year, not just in the Super Bowl, trying to do the same strategy that the Chiefs had last year in the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes and saying that we have a really awesome quarterback who makes magic happen and we are just going to trust that he'll make magic happen and we won't worry about the offensive lines doing we're going to not help block anybody regardless of who those people are across across the line from us and so once the Rams really started getting after in the second half um, bringing an extra guy up um, it didn't seem like the Bengals are really ready to adjust at all um, and one of the things that upset me the most because I had a bet on it was getting Joe Burrow in the position where he could run or at least already gain a head start of beating the rush and getting outside of the pocket, moving the pocket out right or left, um, and either let him run under or throw on the run or have a better option to run it than what he was having. They never did that. And every time the pressure lots of times came up the middle, whether it was Aaron Donald coming up the middle or someone else starting outside and um, coming up through the inside, some kind of stunt or whatnot. Um, and at that time, it's coming straight into his face. And he had no no choice to step up in the pocket, and he had no choice to escape the pocket. Um, and it seemed like that was a fatal flaw that the Bengals had from start to the end and um, you know, if you if I watched enough other Bengals games, I probably would have seen the same thing that they just stuck with that over and over all year long. That hey, it's Joe Burrow. He somehow makes plays. They somehow win games, and we're just going to keep doing it because that's got us here. Um, but eventually, they ran into uh, 
a defensive line who was probably better than all the other ones they were playing. So I think that was a big mistake the Bengals made. Um, you know, the Cooper Cup guarding him. Strange how often Eli Apple, you know, leading up to the Super Bowl, everyone was joking about Eli Apple getting burned by him. And lots of people would say he's not going to ever be on him, blah, blah, blah. Yet somehow it seemed like Eli Apple was on Cooper Cup a lot. Um, and then you didn't have OBJ. So you talk about who's who's going to beat you. OBJ goes out. Van Jefferson, he's, he's capable. Um, he's not probably as consistent. They're going to make big plays over and over. Um, they were down a tight end. Um, their other tight ends seemed like they had opportunities and they kept dropping passes and not making those plays. And so it was, okay, it's Cooper Cup and basically nothing else because they couldn't run the ball. They didn't really have other receivers doing stuff. Tight ends weren't doing anything. And it was truly just Cooper Cup. And he got down to that that last drive and all the way to the point of get, you know, giving him the ball on a sweep, on one of those jet sweeps, and saying, you're not, you're not going to tackle him for less than two yards. Um, which few people do in open space. So that's probably a smart idea. Um, and so just keep going back and forth with him. And Stafford made enough throws to win the game. So a fun game. Um, you know, I think the Rams made a couple smart plays, but I think it was more that the, who, who they had on their team, Cup and Donald, to um, make those big plays. And then maybe the Bengals made a little um, errors in their coaching ways. Um, as far as their team, I thought they played really well. I don't think there was too many places where they played lower than they're capable of and probably often they played above what you would think they could do um they they only have such a high ceiling as a team and they they played to that ceiling they played really well um they just kind of ran into a team with some better players and they lost so super fun season for them um at some point be able to look back and think about how fun that run was to get to the super bowl um, you know, look forward to next season, but probably probably not there yet. Probably still a, a painful memory at this point. But overall, great game. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the playoffs. Super fun season. So hopefully future seasons can kind of live up to this year. But it was, it was a pretty fun playoff run. Enjoyed the Super Bowl. All aspects of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl was great. So I think the NFL probably has to be pretty happy on every front with what went on. You guys like this game a whole lot more than I did. I thought it was it was middle in the pack. It was fine. I didn't think it was as bad as that Patriots-Rams one from a couple of years ago, but I didn't think it was anywhere near the level of uh, Patriots-Seahawks, Patriots-Eagles, Chiefs-Niners. I didn't think it was anywhere near those games. The Eli Apple thing, I mean, you guys said it enough there. I don't need to bang the drum on that one again. For as great as the Bengals have gotten adding pieces in, in the back end, guys like Mike Hilton and Jesse Bates, they still need another corner. That's what we saw. They need a corner and they need offensive line. Same thing happened to the Chiefs last year. They completely retooled and got five new offensive linemen and really worked well for them. I think that's where you're going to see the Bengals here in the offseason. And they have guys saying, oh, I'm blinking on who it was. There was a veteran, maybe BJ Hill, who was saying that I want to go to Cincinnati. I want to play with Joe Burrow. I believe in him. I like the swagger. I like the moxie. Veterans are going to want to come play here. Now, will Cincinnati shell out the money notoriously? about the cheapest franchise in the NFL, which is why they've always been at the bottom. They don't pay to get guys there. Now you've got Burrow. You've got some street cred with the league. I think the Bengals are going to be have the opportunity to make some moves in the offseason. Probably not a great draft pick. It's going to be pretty late for them. The best offensive lineman may be gone, but if they can get some free agents to really bolster that, Burrow's knee getting injured at the end was really scary for that entire franchise's future. You don't like to see that. Uh, can we admit something, though? T. 
T Higgins got away with about the biggest face mask anybody's ever gotten away with in a football game that matters when he grabbed Jalen Ramsey by the face and threw him to the turf for that big touchdown. Jalen Ramsey was getting owned all game, but T Higgins got away with a big one there. Not sure what you're talking about. Don't remember that play. I don't know Hmm. if it was in the game. Hmm. Maybe I made it up. Must've imagined it. I was playing Madden during the Super Bowl as well. So maybe I was distracted. I was complaining things. Ramsey was bad. And I think they should have gone to Higgins more than they did. I mean, he still had like a hundred some yards, but we'll have on that play, but they, uh, they should have gone to him more than they did too. Which is weird. Cause I would have argued that Jalen Ramsey is the best cornerback in the NFL. So I don't know if he was just having an off day or the Bengals knew to go right at him. You, he basically is the back end of that defense and the Bengals exposed him. So I don't know what was going on with him. I, I will give you that as a missed call. And would also accept acknowledgement that the faux Logan Wilson penalty where he did not touch the wide receiver and was called for pass interference or holding also existed. It, that, that final drive, that heroic drive everybody's focusing on, did feel like a little bit of makeup calls in there. They'd been letting them play all game, really let them, letting them get away with stuff. And I get referees don't want the game to come down to them in the Super Bowl. But they were letting them play the entire game. And then suddenly that final drive, penalty 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 to get the rams in position just felt like oh we're making up for some whoopsie calls here that seemed that like the hold call on the first touchdown pass seemed kind of weak especially for what they've been calling in that game and then the late hit or whatever the unnecessary roughness call i'm not sure what that was on that same play and then the pass like there's all just all kinds of things it's that you know you got right down to the end down inside the 20 last minute two minutes and lots of penalties and lots of them seem kind of iffy, especially for what had been going on. Um, and at that point in the Super Bowl, I, I probably wouldn't want to call any of those that were called. And they all were, which seems strange. I mean, there was, I don't know what the numbers were in penalties, but it's so few before that. Um, which, you know, if you're getting thrown to the ground by a face mask, you probably get upset. But from just a watching standpoint, it's really nice when there's no penalties really taking place all game. Just makes the flow so much more enjoyable. And you mentioned this, it's easy to judge while sitting on the couch drinking beer, but you're the Bengals. You've got Joe Mixon, one of the 10 best, maybe top five running backs in the league. Made me think of the Seahawks not running with Marshawn Lynch. Why on third down, give it to Pirine and then fourth and one, throw it. Why not give it to Mixon on one or both of those opportunities? He had been the best running back as bad as the Bengals pass. The offensive line has been in the pass production. They've actually been opening up decent holes in the playoffs for Mixon. Why not give it to him in one of those two opportunities with the game on the line? Yeah, it's a great question. And also they went to like a jumbo package where they'd brought in uh, Andre Smith and uh, Jackson Carmen and overloaded the side, the, the right side of the line a couple different times and had success running the ball. So uh, you make a good point that Mixon should have had a carry there. It seemed like, um, I don't remember if this happened with McVay in the Super Bowl the first time he was there that he was, trying to overthink and get to, I don't know if cute's the word, but something like that, um, that Mixon is, I don't, I don't think typically they're a third down back. And so they went with a third down back, make it seem like they were going to throw the ball and then just ran it with him when um, Mixon probably gets that first down. I mean, it's, you know, who he's running against Donald in there, but he had just another half yard to go. Mixon probably gets that half yard that he needs to get that first down on the third gun run. 
Um, and so taking him out and I mean, early, early in that fourth quarter, it almost looked like the Bengals were at that point where it was on a drive to win it, where they were having some good chunk runs um, with Mixon up the middle. And it seems like maybe that's just what you want to stick with. And then Taylor, whoever calls the plays, decides to get a little, a little too cute and maybe thinking what they were trying to do. Um, instead of just saying, give it to Mixon, go straight forward, let's do this. And that may have worked, um, but they may have outthought themselves along that lines. Well, all in all, you guys like the game more than I did. I get we're getting over the heartache of the Bengals' loss. I do want to talk about some of the individual players that we haven't discussed in great detail, but anything else Super Bowl-related we have not touched on. Halftime show I really liked. I'm not going to be one of those people who says it was the greatest of all time. I do feel like we say people have said it's the greatest playoffs of all time. It's the greatest halftime show of all time. The commercials are always the best or they're, none of them are any good. I think it's always a mixed bag. I would put this probably near the top of the Super Bowl halftimes, but I'm not going to say it's the best ever without doing a little bit more research. The commercials, I don't want to get too much in the commercials, but um, I felt like they really sucked recently. And I, I didn't pay super close attention, but I thought they were better this year than where they had been. Um, whether it was from kind of just overall creative standpoint, some funny mixed into there. Um, I thought it was just an overall nice mix of commercials. Um, probably not to the level of, you know, like the Bud Light, Budweiser playing football against each other with the bottles type of awesomeness and some of the other things they've had from Bud Light 15 plus years ago. But it was a nice, nice set of commercials, I thought, this year, especially lately it seems like they've been kind of lame until now i i didn't pay much attention to the commercials which is kind of interesting because typically i'm glued to the tv for them and and it's probably has to do with i was so focused on the game like i needed to just take a mental break for for a couple minutes uh so so i don't have much feedback on them the halftime show while i loved it I don't know that it's better than what Prince did, but I absolutely loved the halftime show and thought it was great. I did appreciate surprisingly thick 50 cent. I was curious who that guy was coming out to the song and realized, Oh, I know that song. I know that guy that surprised me. I thought Kendrick Lamar did really good. Probably exposed a lot of people who are not as familiar with him may know the other people pretty well, but he was really great. I am curious as, as I don't have really anybody in the 15 to 19 year old age demographic in my life. Do they, do they still think like Snoop Dogg and Eminem and Dr. Dre are cool? Or are they like, oh, that's what my parents are into. I'm wondering if, if that resonated. I feel like that's why they went with hip hop was to get kind of that younger audience and be hip instead of just the, the classic rockers or maybe the more family-friendly pop. I'm wondering if people of that age still get into the classic, I guess we have to call it classic rap now. <laughs> I think so. Um, I'll, I'll give a couple of reasons why. Um, oh, well, first of all, the songs are really awesome, right? So anyone likes those, so it doesn't matter what, how old they are. But um, in the world of things like TikTok, there's a lot of songs from kind of that genre, pieces of those songs that get end up being used and get really popular on TikTok. Um, so all kinds of songs, and you know, not just from those people, but things that are 10, 15, 20 years old um, that get listened to um, in bits, at least a lot by the youth of America today. Um, but another thing I was recently at um, a couple months ago at a, an event in Wisconsin that had a lot of high school kids at it. And there was just a lot of early 2000s hip hop and pop being played. And they all seemed to really dig that. 
Um, and they're all, they're all want to be in the nineties anyway, right? They're That's trying to true. Nineties stuff is very trendy. So, um, nineties rap gotta be right there too. So, you know, it's, it's probably trendy just to listen to nineties rap and, and talk about nineties rap regardless. So, um, I think, I think they're probably all very familiar with all that stuff and, uh, well, well versed in their early days of Snoop and Dr. Dre and Eminem. I spend seven hours a day with people age 12 to 14. They, they certainly appreciate 50 Cent and, and Snoop Dogg and Eminem and Dre. Like, they get it. Um, they really think that the rappers that are coming out with stuff now are fun to listen to. And my counter argument to them always is like, YouTube Tupac, YouTube Dr. Dre, YouTube Snoop. And they're like, oh, we know all that. We know all that. So they, they're very aware and they appreciate it. They just think that their stuff is cooler. But they definitely like uh, 90s rap music. Well, as long as they can admit it's better. Except for Kendrick. There, 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 there are some new people like Kendrick Lamar who are very good. But... Shannon, you and your educational people, I had a, had a beef with you guys earlier this week. I, uh, I coach a bunch of 10-year-olds in basketball. And we had our last practice of the year on Monday, this last Monday. And so they go to school all day and they do their stuff and then they go home for an hour or two and then they come to basketball and halfway through practice, they were the worst behaved they'd been all year. And there's definitely some kids that aren't very good behaved, but by far the worst all season. I'm like, what the hell are these kids doing? You know, bad, bad. I got to the end. It's like, what the hell was going on with all these kids today? And then later on that night, I was thinking about it. I was like, I know what it was. It's Valentine's Day. They all came to school. They all gave each other candy. They all, the teachers told them to eat all the candy in the world. Teachers brought in just piles of sugar and poured on their desk. The kids ate it all day long. And then they came to my basketball practice and they all acted like a bunch of little jerks. And so I blame the teacher. And this is not the first time. This happens all the time. They come home having had all kinds of candy from my preschool kid up to fourth grade. Oh yeah, we got all kinds of fun cupcakes and sugar today. It's awesome and they send them home. I feel like that's like a, some kind of like payback that teachers like to do. That they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll teach your ki- old jerk kids, but then we're gonna give them a bunch of sugar and send them home. I feel like that happens a lot, so. Yeah, and, and most of the time when teacher, like sometimes you might have days off or early outs where teachers are in meetings all day. It's typically designed like, how can we get payback on parents for uh, giving them a taste of what we deal with all day? And a lot of a lot of those meetings are like, okay, we're going to do a lot of sugar on this day and and uh, promote unhealthy eating, no rest, and just just really rude behavior. So so you have a valid complaint that's not going to get any better. Yeah, that's right. I, I was just happy I under I figured out what was going on, so that made me feel better. Yeah, yeah, I, you're onto it totally. Moral of the story is the Bengals need better cornerback play. No Eli Apple, better cornerbacks, less Apple, more sugar. If there's a cornerback named sugar, it's gotta be somebody looking to that. Well, I wanted to get your guys. We're going to play a quick yes or no game. And there's two very big names. We're going to be, you know how much I hate to be that cliche show that talks about the same topics as everybody else. But I think there are two fun things going on. So we're going to end with those two guys. But before we get to those two, I want you to tell me if each of these guys' career ended today, they never played another game in the NFL, would they be Hall of Famers? Name number one, Von Miller. Yes. 
I guess I would say yes to Andrew Whitworth. No. Um, I'd probably say no. I do definitely do not definitely do not know enough about offensive line to have a good answer though. He's only the third man over the age of forty to play in the Super Bowl with along with Jerry Rice and Tom Brady. He definitely looked over forty. <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr. No, no. Jalen Ramsey. I'd say no. No. Matthew Stafford. Yes. As president of the Des Moines chapter of the Matthew Stafford fan club, I say yes. <laughs> and Aaron Donald. Yes. Yes. Now, which do you want to do first, Stafford or Donald? Stafford. All right. I am on the fence with Mr. Stafford. I kind of thought one of you would be with me. I didn't think you two would give him a pass in. I think the Super Bowl very much helps his case. But you've got this crop of guys coming up right now. Uh, I think Stafford, Matt Ryan are probably the two main ones. Maybe you could talk about Phillip, Eli, and Big Ben maybe being the really early phases of it. But you've got these guys who careers that's just been wide open video game offense. So looking at Matt Stafford's numbers, he is 12th all-time in passing yards with 49,995 through, I believe, 13 seasons. Uh, so he is 12th. The guys ahead of him guaranteed to be in. Tom Brady, Drew Brees are going to be in. Peyton and Farber already in. Big Ben's going to be in. Dan Marino's in. Eli's going to get in. Rodgers is going to get in. And Elway is in. The names I didn't mention, uh, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford. You keep going down the list, you get Warren Moon, Fran Tarkenton already in. But you've got Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, and Matt Stafford who are in, who are in the top 12. I think Rivers gets in, and I think Ryan gets in. They have better totals. The difference is they don't have the Super Bowl. Is that what puts Matt Stafford over the top for you? For me, I need to see more winning. I think he's still probably got five or six years. I think he's only 34 years old, so he's probably got another good five years in him if he wants it. If he gets another Super Bowl ring gets over that 60,000, maybe even 70,000 yard mark. I think he is in, but that's what makes it tough for me is he's played in this open offensive era where it's been easier to just rack up yards and make your numbers look a little bit better, but I'm not totally sold for me. He's like, yeah, maybe, but I need a, I need a little bit more before I'm going to green light him into the hall of fame. I think the super bowl definitely gets him into the yes category um, without the super bowl. Even though maybe I would want to, I'd, I'd probably have to say no, um, just because it kind of helps pad that. But I think the other part is, as you said, he's still got some good years. He's going to be on a good team. He's got to throw the ball to Cup. They got other good people. Um, you know, other receivers will probably come in to play with him and play in that offense. He'll have good teams. He'll have good seasons. Um, and I think the people just felt sorry for him on the Lions. And so because they felt sorry for him that he was with the Lions and they were actually not all that bad a lot of his, his time there. Um, they had some decent periods, and the Lions have been, what, good for, like, two periods in their existence. One was with Barry Sanders for a couple times, and one with Stafford and Calvin Johnson and some other guys they had there. So um, I think people pity him a little bit for having to be in Detroit, and then the second he gets out of Detroit, he wins the Super Bowl. So I think just that narrative helps him out. Overall, um, he'll get a bunch more stats. He'll go up higher in the, the total yards and stuff like that by the time he retires. Um, maybe get another run at a NFC Championship or Super Bowl in the next couple of years. That um, you know, I, I think if even just making another Super Bowl really put him 
in, but at this point, I, I think he's good to go since he got the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl put him over the top. He's one that he could have retired without it. And and then we'd have a different conversation. Like Philip Rivers, there's going to be some debate about him because he's missing that. He'll get in. Uh, Stafford, Stafford's in. He he made Megatron look awesome, and Megatron was awesome. And they were in Detroit. Like, had they been in a functional NFL organization, they very well could have been to a couple Super Bowls together with with the pieces around it. So put Stafford on a good team. And he wins a Super Bowl. He got Detroit to the playoffs and, and won some games there. So while it put him over the top, he he has been trending towards a, a career of being worthy of the Hall of Fame. Is Matt Ryan in for you? Yes, he is because he has an MVP and longevity. I'd probably put him in too, I think. Um Sometimes we want to think about what he and his team has been recently. Um, but, you know, if you go back five years ago, six years ago, he was always a, a really solid player, um, you know, should have a Super Bowl. Um, but really solid player. And that, you know, the MVP, as Shannon said, is probably the extra piece to really get him in there. Um, but, you know, if he is saying at the Falcons, these next couple, you know, however long he's still playing and, his team's terrible and he doesn't have much to go off of. People might think less of him, but in the end, I don't think that would matter. I'd probably vote yes. Hall of Fame. And I'm, I'm not totally convinced with Stafford yet. Again, a couple more good years would put him over the top and he was stuck in Detroit. I know that is a limiting factor, but I would like to see a little bit more wins, a little bit more of actual numbers instead of just the inflated uh, high passing arrow we're in. But I do think it is something really cool and a feather in his cap. I will concede he may have quarterbacked the two best receiving seasons in NFL history. What he did with Megatron in that year, we got like 1,900 yards. And then this year with Cooper Cup, very crazy to think that Matt Stafford may be responsible for those two seasons. Yep, all good stuff. And going over to his teammate on the Rams, Aaron Donald. We all agree he's in the Hall of Fame. That's not surprising. Is he the best defensive player of his era? I'm basically saying 2010 onward. I think the only other candidate would be JJ Watts. So between the two, or is there somebody I'm missing Aaron Donald, the best defensive player of this era? Yeah. If you're talking the last 10, 12, whatever years, I would definitely say yes. Um, you know, JJ for a period and maybe TJ going forward. Um, and I probably JJ, the biggest issue is injuries. He's, always been injured as he, I mean, he doesn't hardly probably ever play in the playoffs because he has injuries before he gets to that point. Um, so that was a big limiting factor for him. Um, but I think from just a, a defensive end standpoint, you can lots of times plan to get those guys out of the game. Um, and even I remember who I was talking about, but you think of situation like we had with Burrow that if there is just an outside rush coming, you can step up into that. Um, you know, you'd see a person like Josh Allen do really well when there's outside pressure and he steps up and he runs. Um, Aaron Donald brings it right up the middle and gives you no place to go and shuts that down, shuts down the run. Um, so he can just do a lot more. Usually you don't see a person in the middle be as dominant as that like he is. And so you always think of those defensive ends um, over the years as being those really dominant defensive line guys just because they get all the sacks and lots of pressure. Um, but he did up the middle. Um, really shuts down, you know, especially like at the end of the game when, when he's really has it turned on, 
not a not a lot that they could do to um to block him even like on that run play that he was in the process of being blocked and used one arm to tackle a guy so um i would say easily in the last 10 years he's the winner it's it's hard to argue against him you bring up jj watt von miller might be somebody that comes into the conversation but uh to to be as big of a disruption as as aaron donald is i certainly wouldn't pick anybody over him and and so he's got to be at the top of the list and now as for all-time nfl ranked there's talk that he's going to retire. I don't buy it. I think he comes back for a couple more years. But where he ranks all time, some people saying he is the greatest defensive player in the history of the NFL. For reference, looking at the NFL films, they did the 100 greatest players of all time a couple of years ago. Their top, was it top seven defensive players? Lawrence Taylor, third. Reggie White, seventh. Dick, Dick Butkus, number 10. Ronnie Lott, number 11. Mean Joe Green, number 13, Deacon Jones, number 15, and Ray Lewis, number 18. I want to say Bob Lilly was maybe next to 26th. You hear names like that. Is Aaron Donald on that level? Is he a top of all those guys somewhere in the middle, or is he not quite on that tier yet? I remember Reggie White, and I, I didn't really appreciate how disruptive he was and how good he was. And so I'd probably have to to go back and kind of study his work, but Donald could be in that realm. I don't know about Lawrence Taylor. Like, man, you watch highlights of Lawrence Taylor and he's from one side to the other right now. And I've kind of heard some, some people that covered football back then talk about Lawrence Taylor and how uh, they would take him. If, if it was an open draft and you take anybody, they would take him over Aaron Donald, but that's kind of where their list stops as far as defensive players. So probably not number three, but maybe a top 10 because of kind of comparing him to Reggie White. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate um, for us in our age, at least Shannon and I, that we maybe saw a little bit of those guys, Reggie White, Lawrence Taylor. um, But I don't really remember them and definitely not at a point where I could really understand what they were doing when I did see them play. Um, But, you know, they go in there. I saw someone mentioning Reggie White that if he played today, he'd even be better than he was back then, just with the um, setup of how the game's going, more passing quick, all this stuff. So, um, but those two, you know, up there, Donald better than them? Probably not. I probably wouldn't put him above like Lawrence Taylor. Um, I've seen a lot of people mention Deion Sanders as kind of being up there just because he could totally shut somebody down. Um, But I, I like the idea I was talking about that, say that you just put your best receiver out to the side. Deion Sanders goes and stands next to him and you just have him hang out by the sidelines and then you do 10 on 10 with everybody else. So it's hard to take a cor- any cornerback and say that they are one of the best defensive players because they can kind of limit what they can actually do as long as you scheme them out of the game. So if, if you can get schemed out of the game, it probably doesn't make you the best overall defensive player. And that's, that kind of what concerns me about Dick Butkus, and you hear the same thing about somebody like a Dick Knight Train Lane, who's a little further down the list, but is an all-time great. How would they fare in the modern game? Which I think there's some fallacy in that argument. You can basically only play the cards you're dealt. They can't help when they played. Dick Butkus may not be as great today because he was so violent and, dare I say, a dirty player that he may slide down this list. If you're playing today, he's probably not the athlete of a Ray Lewis or a Lawrence Taylor or an Aaron Donald. 
I could see him sneaking right in there along with a mean Joe green or a Deacon Jones. I think I could comfortably have him in there. Now, granted, I would probably have Ray Lewis ahead of Ronnie Lott, Joe green and Deacon Jones. If I were doing this, I'm not ready to say Aaron Donald's the best of all time. I could see him being the best defensive tackle, which didn't Reggie white kind of move around defensive tackle to end. I think of him as being very big for an end. Yeah. I feel like he did some end or plenty of end. I th- I definitely think Aaron Donald is a top 50, probably even a top 20 all-time player, but I'm not ready to call him the best defensive player of all time. I will defer to people who talk about Lawrence Taylor. I haven't seen enough of his stuff. You just see the highlight clips, but the way people talk about Lawrence Taylor is that he was terrifying to play against. And I think Donald is still, still a little ways to go before he reaches quite that Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White echelon. One thing you mentioned about, uh, you know, could a person play in today's era um, and it's, it's not football, but, when you talk, some people like to talk about Michael Jordan and could he play today? Um, and lots of it goes to he was not a very good three-point shooter. Looking here, his uh, career three-point shooting was 32%. Um, that's like Russell that's because That's because they didn't need to shoot three-pointers. Like, that just wasn't how the game was built. It wasn't built around shooting three-pointers. If he was out, coming up today and this, you know, or even then maybe look at Kobe Bryant early in his career, um, he wasn't shooting as many threes as he probably did late in his career. Um, could have he? Sure. If they said you need to shoot a lot of three pointers, he would have practiced three pointers and he would have been awesome at it. So just because what he did was different, um, you know, a lot, I think there's lots of those top players that they're, they could transition to today. So you talk about Dick Buckus and, you know, maybe his dirty or whatever you want to call it the way that, I mean, not just him, lots of people played that way. Cause that's how, how things were done that, um, those people can make the transition to play in whatever style you need to play. Um, it's just, that's how it was at their time. So um, no, whether it's Reggie White or, or Dick Buckus, those, those very top people, I, I feel comfortable saying that they could transition and play whatever era you're in. They were good enough that they could, you know, maybe they won't be as elite as they were in their era, but they would still be a solid NFL player. Speaking of all time greats, who'd be amazing in any era. Going to transition here to Kyle Busch and the Daytona 500. Nice transition. Thank really you. Solid. Thank you. So we do have the Daytona 500 coming up this week in uh, Daytona, Florida, if you're confused. Sunday, February 20th. And we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, the race at the Coliseum that I think turned out to be a little bit more dull than people expected. But we always love the 500, always a good time. So our race expert, what do we need to know heading into the 500? Everything I've heard is about this new car that nobody quite knows what it's going to do, but it feels like NASCAR is constantly coming up with a next generation car. So what do we need to know heading into the Daytona 500, the new car, and why Kyle Busch is going to win by a mile? Hope you're right, because I just took him in our draft for my second driver. Uh, So the next gen cars, the... uh, the paint job, which isn't really paint. I mean, it's, it's stickers, but the paint jobs look like crap because the numbers are near the front of the door. And I've, for the last 27 years of looking at race cars, I've always hated when they put their numbers up so far to the front, like slide those things to the back. So they look kind of garbagey, but the car itself looks pretty awesome. Um, I got to watch a little bit of that, the uh, Bush light clash that they did at the Coliseum and, uh, there was no love lost there, so the drivers were picking right back up where it's like, uh, I'll wreck whoever to get to the front. Outside of Kyle Busch, uh, Denny Hamlin had a strong season, so Denny Hamlin would be, would be somebody to keep an eye on. 
Hendrick Hendrick dominated last season. Kyle Larson, namely, so he's the clear favorite going into the season for the title, but also at the 500. So if if you're ever like, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure who to pick. Let's start the season with Kyle Larson because everybody has to try to catch up to him. So Larson, Denny Hamlin, uh, some of the other Hendrick cars would be Chase Elliott and William Byron, Alex Bowman. So they're going to glom off off of Larson's success because that's what teams do is you just build the best stuff and and go from there. Uh, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr. for Joe Gibbs Racing, Denny Hamlin. And then Denny's got Bubba Wallace. So, so Bubba has pretty much all of what Gibbs has for equipment. It just has Denny Hamlin's name on it. So there's some drivers to keep an eye on. And uh, as always, the 500 is going to come down to, to who is still in the race with five laps to go and they start wrecking. And for some reference, some of the other teams that you may not realize, the money team, car number 50, owned by Floyd Mayweather Jr. and driven by Kaz Gralla. Uh, whoever that is, they do have Tony Erie Jr. as their crew chief. That's a good name if you know racing. Um, Kevin, do you have any picks? What's going to be your 500 winner pick? That's mostly what I what I want to drill down to. Kind of a a front runner who we think is going to win it, and then maybe somebody's going to come from the middle of the pack. Nobody saw Michael McDowell coming last year to win it. Um, I like Alex Bowman. I like his rise of the last few years coming up um, as a, a solid driver. So I will uh, take. He's not, I guess, like a a long shot, whatever you want to call him these days, but um, as a, a younger guy, right? He's still young. Um, I'll I'll take him as kind of a a good pick. I don't think he hasn't he hasn't won the Daytona 500 now, so we'll take him as a. And if it's not him, it'll be someone that's never won it before. How's that sound? Yeah. This has been my beef with NASCAR for a couple of years now. We've lost so many guys in the last few years. Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Carl Edwards, Matt Kenseth, all these guys we kind of grew to knew and were bigger stars have disappeared and there's maybe six or seven top guys, your Keselowski, Logano, Bush brothers, uh, Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson getting up to that level. But there, it just feels like there's this dearth of new up and coming drivers. I keep trying to make guys like Stenhouse and the Dylan brothers and Chris Busher and whoever the Syndra guy is try to come up uh, William Byron and Alex Bowman getting a lot of rides. I still haven't been impressed with a lot of these guys uh, to really break through that next level. I know he's not a sure shot at Daytona. He's very up and down here, but I got to go with my guy, Kevin Harvick, uh, as, as a front runner that I really like here. And then I, I'm going to stick with that team. I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know why I'm picking him. It just feels right. Shannon can explain what we need to know, but I'm going Chase Briscoe. He's in a Stuart Haas car, so he's with a big name. He's not one of these. He's not a J.J. Yaley or a guy who really has to put everything into it just to run the race. He's with a big team. He's got a good ride but he's a name that not a lot of people know and is kind of an up and coming guy. So give me Kevin Harvick as my front runner and Chase Briscoe is a bit of a dark horse. I think you're just trying to lobby for Tony Stewart to invite you to a a motor home party with all these Haas Stewart Haas racing guys. I mean, who would you rather party with? You can party with Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson, or Jeff Gordon. Who are you hanging out with? Oh man, Tony Stewart. You're (laughs) uh, think things are going to get a little sideways before the end of the night. And, and and not end well for anybody, but you're going to have a blast the whole time there. Uh, does he still do come like, to Knoxville? He does still come to Knoxville, yes. Yeah, there's stories about him there, and I kind of believe him because 
you, you really can't make up some of the things that you've heard about him at Knoxville. Uh, Chase Briscoe, though, Darren, good uh, a good pick. Um, really was successful in Xfinity and has done a nice job transitioning. They, they really like the future of him. I also did want to point out that Kurt Busch now drives the, the other car for Denny Hamlin uh, along with Bubba Wallace. So maybe a fresh start for Kurt Busch and a, a little rejuvenation there. Uh, Brad Keselowski now owns part of Roush Fenway Motorsports. So while Keselowski has done well, I almost wonder if he's trying to transition to that next phase and maybe maybe uh, not not going to compete, but I could be wrong. Um, I have before. I, I, I'd love to see Ryan Blaney win the 500, so, so give me Ryan Blaney just as a fun pick and somebody that I'm going to cheer for. I keep waiting for Brad Keselowski to pop back up. He was so good when he started, I think, had the championship in 2012. And then, what, one win last year. He was decent 2020, but I feel like he's kind of tailed off. I keep waiting for him to pop back up and be a serious contender, but only one win, and he's been spotty a couple other years. Maybe, like you say, it's he's transitioning out, but kind of felt like there was time he was going to be the next really special top-level driver, and he's been passed by, kind of feels like Kyle Busch, and now Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson have gone past him. Question for you guys, and this is uh, not specifically to Daytona 500, but a larger NASCAR question. Is there concern, so NASCAR's ratings and all that has has fallen off a lot the last couple of years. Is there concern with F1's, Formula 1's growth in the U.S. as continuing to hurt NASCAR? Or is that like a completely different subset of people who are caring about Formula 1 that them and NASCAR could uh, coexist in the U.S.? I certainly don't see that it will have any impact on it. Darren, what do you think? I don't think I've ever watched an entire Formula One race in my life. Like I'll watch little bits of it here and there, and I know some of the names. Do people like Formula One, or do they just like Lewis Hamilton because he's a pretty boy? So from my understanding, there is a show on Netflix that I've never watched around Formula One racing, following those guys around Hamilton and the other main stars, and it became super big. Um, Big enough that the... The attendance, so there's like a race in Texas each year, um, that the attendance went up like 50% last year or something like that um, for what it had been. And they added a race in Miami, and they're looking to add a race in Vegas, which would make the U.S. the only place that has three Formula One races in a year. So it's becoming the hot spot to Formula One. I think Formula One probably attracts a little bit more of a bougie Eurocentric audience. And I can say this as a lifelong NASCAR fan, NASCAR is going to be, no matter how much they try to go to LA and expand. And I think that's really what's hurting them is they're trying to get so fancy and uppity that they're alienating their core fan base who are your blue collar working class people. It's been tough for me to watch NASCAR. They keep changing and changing and changing and changing. And it's just, you know, line them up and let's go. Let's not change and have these stages and every race ends in a green, white checker. So I think NASCAR has hurt itself more than formula one has grown, but I think they are two distinctly different audiences. It's like, well, you've got your, your soccer audience and then your football audience. Like, yes, there's that group of guys at the bar who love to watch soccer, but that's not, there's not enough of them to take away from your American football audience. Shannon, a question for you as probably the biggest NASCAR person here. If you could go to only one more NASCAR or one more race event 
and the rest of your life and you had to pick between an actual NASCAR, real NASCAR race at the track in Iowa, the Iowa Speedway, so like a real race, um, or go to Knoxville for their largest race, whatever national race that they host there in Knoxville, small dirt track, hosting the cars with little weird shaped tops. Um, but you get to, you get to hang out there full night of racing, you know, weekend, whatever they do when they have those nationals there, which one would you go to? I would choose Knoxville for the sprint car nationals because of probably nostalgia more than anything, like growing up around dirt track racing and, and knowing how hard it is to drive on dirt as compared to pavement. And so, uh, give me the Knoxville nationals for the sprint cars as my choice. I feel like that's what most people would say too. I mean, the people that watch NASCAR are people who go to their local dirt track, right. And whether they're there to watch it or they, in some people's cases have actually raced on a dirt track in the past. Um, but like, that's what people that watch NASCAR, that's what they do on their Friday nights and Saturday nights as they went to their local dirt tracks. They grew up there. And so when it comes to something that's on a larger scale and, you know, Knoxville's not on TV, or at least not, you know, like a regular network on TV um, for the, the sprint car nationals. But I feel like if I asked a large group of people that are NASCAR fans, that's what they would say that, that they would rather go to that small thing. So, and maybe that's, that has to do with like what you mentioned there that NASCAR is, you know, sure it's kind of fun to watch on TV that they're doing a, a dirt race in the Coliseum in the middle of Los Angeles but who in Los Angeles cares about, I mean, the, the stadium looked maybe half full from what I saw. They don't even care about the Rams. They're not going to care about NASCAR. So like, it's sure. It's kind of fun, but the race looked boring. It looked like a tiny track and they were barely moving and no one was passing anybody. Um, I didn't watch it very long. I turned it on and it looked boring. So I turned it off. It looked like it was, you know, qualifying or some random stuff like that when there's the actual race. So it seems like they need to get back to the people that actually care about NASCAR and not try and grow it, even though that's kind of opposite of what most people might say for, for their sport. But the people that are NASCAR people are the hardcore circle oval, small track racing. And they don't, you know, I, I think like you said that I don't think they're going to want to go watch formula one where they race around all kinds of random shapes and curves and stuff like that with people from all over the world. But, um, that seems like sometimes they try a little too hard to move away from the people that actually care to watch them. People who enjoy races at the Iowa Speedway enjoy paint drying and Luke Bryan concerts. It's there's Luke Talladega, there's Charlotte, there's Daytona, there's Bristol, and then there's the Iowa Speedway. I'll just leave it at that. Best thing I saw at the Iowa Speedway was a Metallica concert. So. Wow. Right. Well, we have we have basically hit our hour here. So apologies to basketball. We can push that back to next week. Uh, we'll do it more in depth, but any parting words from you two on basketball from the, mostly the women's side, you guys have Iowa state ranked number six, I believe Caitlin Clark is easily the best women's player in the country right now. I believe leads the women in scoring and assists per game. Uh, men's are kind of going the opposite direction, but any, any parting words from what we've seen from the men's and women's college basketball season with March madness fast approaching. Iowa State women got waxed by Texas tonight, but they're still good. They'll have a, a nice high seed up there. Caitlin Clark is amazing. 
she's been all over ESPN. So people maybe actually know her name now compared to when we talked about this before. Um, so some good teams here. Um, but I think overall, like the men's tournament should be really fun. You know, kind of looking, I was looking at the rankings of men's basketball and you got Gonzaga worked their way back up there and they're a solid team. Um, and Auburn, you know, has been up there. Who's on Auburn's team outside of their coach? I have no idea. Wendell Carter Jr. Is that the guy? That's an NBA player. Who am I thinking of? <laughs> Wendell Carter Jr. I got Duke like six years ago. Or something like that. <laughs> Who's the guy am I thinking of? Anyways. No clue. Arizona, obviously a big school, but like they've not really been anything special. It seems like for a long time, they're number three. Kentucky, I saw them earlier this year and they looked average. They're number four, Purdue, Kansas, Baylor. Providence is number eight. Yeah, I'm okay. waiting for Vill- Villanova. Villanova is going to crush everybody in that conference. Just wait for Duke it. Duke is interesting. I watched Duke like in a small bits and like, wow, these guys are really amazing. They're awesome. This team is fantastic. I'll turn away and I'll come back. And then they're tied with Wake Forest at the end of the game. And that just happens over and over and over again. It's like, wow, this, this team is awesome. They should be killing people. And then they're losing to Virginia at home or, you know, whatever it is. Or needing a last second basket to beat Wake Forest. And they still have a good record. They'll be they'll be up there, but they just don't seem like a, a team to win it. But overall, it just seems a massive group of teams that could win it. So I think, it, if nothing else, it'll be a fun tournament to watch in March. Um, and that's really what most people want. What? Wendell Green Jr. I had two-thirds of it, right? That's close. Yeah, they kind of have a three-headed monster down there. He's kind of the main point guard who runs things for him. Yeah, about a, uh, when the conference tournaments start happening, I'll start paying attention a little bit more. So go basketball. Now that we don't have as much football going on and they may never play baseball again the way this holdout's going, we'll sneak in a lot more basketball here for the next month or so. We'll sprinkle in some NASCAR. I need to get hockey back on here and see where we're at with the NHL standings. A little bit of everything, uh, celebrating my UFC 271 three for three picks. So congratulations to me, even though you two didn't listen to me, just pick the winners. Don't parlay. Don't pick the finish type. Just pick a winner. Just keep it, keep it simple. Get those three wins. So lame. Congratulations to Mr. Adesanya tied to Avasa. And who's the third one that I picked? That was right. Oh, uh, Cannoneer. So congratulations to those guys. Congratulations to us. Thank you all for listening to us. We will be back next Thursday. I think Andrew's planning to be on. I should probably confirm that with him. Uh, Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time.